0: You know, it's been a while since I've preached. <laughs> I agree. I fully agree with that. Uh, we have, we have heard so many wonderful things um, from so many of y'all, and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that that the Lord doesn't just speak to to pastors. Um, it's so so wonderful to be with you all. So wonderful to uh, to have had the, the the time even to to listen. I'm I'm grateful for this new thing that we're going to be talking about because. Uh, we, we were pulling the leadership a, a few months ago about what we thought the Lord was saying as we're getting ready for Advent, as we're kind of like looking ahead at all these things coming, what we've been through, what we're coming from. And, you know, there was people who said, I'd really like to hear you talk about suffering. I thought, well, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> so we, we kind of, w- we had that on there. But as I was pressing in, I, I heard the Lord kind of saying, you know, that, that the rhythms of our hearts, the, the rhythms that we do are so important for us to to never forget, to never move aside from that. And during the the season where where I wasn't preaching for a a few weeks in a row, the Lord really knit those things together um, so that we know how to navigate. That These things are are not two separate ideas, but really that this is one heartbeat on how the the way you order your life, the way you order your time, the way you order your days matters a great deal um, to you and to those around you. And and so we're going to take a, a really brief time here before Advent, just for what I hope is just going to be a reminder to all of us that it matters, that your days, not in this church, matter a great deal, that the way that you spend your time matters so much. Um, what you tend to, what you grow, what you focus on, how you spend yourself in the time together and your time away, it matters so much because the fruit of who you are will show itself. And and the rhythm that you allow to dictate your life can either be a, a drum by your corporate overlords <laughs> um, or it can be the gentle heartbeat of the Father. Right? You hear what I'm saying? Uh I hope that this is going to cause you the, a chance to remember and to breathe and to find a pacing and to, to find the things that, that matter for us. Uh, maybe in the list of things that we don't want to be prophetic, <laughs> Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Now, we want that last part to be pro- prophetic, of course. But that thing that in this world, you will have trouble, you know, maybe we don't want that to be our story. You know, like, like if we could pick and choose, if it's like a, a, a Chinese menu, we're a little from column A, a little column B, we're going to take a whole lot of the peace and the hope and the joy. And if I have to, maybe I'll take one appetizer of suffering and trouble, but then I'm going to get over that and that's going to be the end of it. That's not what the word of God tells us. Um, that's a n- fact of this world. That that's the nature of what we're in for. Whether you're in the heartbeat of God or out, whether you're you're following Him or you're not, there's going to be trouble in this world. There's going to be loss. None of us get out of this thing alive. Uh, I mean, there was Elijah and Enoch, but we're not going to talk about them right now. So <laughs> none of us get out of this thing alive. That that's that's not the plan, you know. And and the way that we get there, the way that we see our way through. Um, reflects as much on him as it does us if we're allowing his heartbeat to, to, to direct us. Um, much of our walking with Jesus will pre- prepare us for what's to come. Winston Churchill, I don't quote him often. I didn't even know this was a Churchill quote. This is just something I've heard kicked around, but you, you've you probably heard this, you who are more well-read than I. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Have you heard that one before? He said this when he was preparing for the United Nations after World War II, Right? Never let a good crisis go to waste. Because, I mean, World War II was a crisis. It was a dark day, and we saw the depravity of mankind on full display. And I think that it's real leadership that comes from that and says, where can we go from here? What What's the story going to be about? Are, are we going to let this happen again? Have we learned anything from the sorrows, from the sufferings, from the troubles that we've seen? What can we pull from that and say, never again this because now I am prepared for that? And the rhythms that you allow for your life, the crises can eclipse your faith or they can prepare you for what's to come. I don't know if when you've hit, oh, Tabby's starting early. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if, if you've had these seasons where, where doubt creeps in. Where, where sorrows seem to be the strongest thing in the room, right? But what actually is, is so important is that in those moments, we don't let go of our faith, that questions and doubts don't cause us to wonder and to say, well, therefore, the God can't be real, right? Because somebody that I know is suffering, because there, there's, there's cancer, because th- things have gone wrong. Therefore, none of this can be true. But in those times when troubles come knocking, our faith is more important than ever. And it's for a time like that. I think often we we want our faith to be just on the mountaintops, that that when things are going well, I can tell that God reigns. When things are going well, I know that God is in charge. I know that he's Lord because everything's going great. But really, so much of what we have in Scripture is the Lord preparing us for when those times come, letting us know that, that he's going to be there in the valleys. He's going to be there with the questions. I say this all the time, but the, the, the gospel never looks at your sin. It never looks at troubles. It never looks at suffering and drops its head in shame and discomfort. I and mean, people do that all the time. We don't want to look full face in the ugliness of man. We don't want to look at these dark things too long because they're, they're scary and they make us ask things and they make us wonder. And what can we do about it? But the gospel looks at it and it says, yeah, I was ready for this. I've been prepared for this day. I know what's coming. If we are unprepared, if we are on shaky ground, when troubles come, we're going to be pulled here or there by shaky doctrine, by whatever seems to fit the mood or the culture of the day. But if we are secured on the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are ready for what's coming. Ephesians 6.13 is well known, but there's one word I want you to focus on. The word is when, all right? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Now it, it's profound that I think that you're called to stand you know, it, it doesn't say here to fight, doesn't say here to overcome it doesn't say here you know, to, to do all these things we might think but the, the, this verse tells us that we're going to stand and it, it says it twice when, it, when you've done everything to stand for a third tidbit, tidbit notice that after you've done everything all right. There's a fair amount of human effort in this, if, if, which is actually kind of shocking, right, that after you have done everything, to stand. But back to that first point, when? It's going to happen. That's the game plan. Not if, not in case, but when. Much of what we do in these four walls, well, we have like eight, ten walls, but y'all know what I mean, metaphoric four walls. What we do in here is to prepare you for what comes next, to prepare you for what comes outside to what's gonna get you ready to get through whenever there's questions and, and, and doubts, whenever there's sorrow, whenever there's loss, when there's crises. Preparing for this, preparing for crises, for hardships, trials, suffering, it's a long-term endeavor. We're not talking about crisis management. If you, if you wait until things are getting hard to say, oh, I've gotta find my way into the rhythms of Jesus, it's a little late. <laughs> because your heart's already going to be pulled here. You're already going to exercise the lessons that you've learned through your, your day-to-day life, all right? So what I'm talking about here is not crisis management. We are talking about suffering. We are talking about hardship stuff, but we're not talking about crisis management because often when this day comes, it's a little too late for what I'm going to be getting into here. Now, there is crisis management in the faith. Now, there, there are wonderful things we can pull from, but that's not this, Right? I don't know how many of us view the the pandemic that we are still in, right? But maybe that did or did not show you the limits of what your faith is. Maybe that, that showed you the limits of what suffering you were comfortable to endure. Maybe that showed you the limits of what you felt comfortable with and you found the edge of yourself. Maybe when you became a parent, you found the edge of your patience. (laughs) Maybe you found the, the edge of your knowledge sometime when somebody asks you a question and you realize, I can't answer that any longer, right? We find these edges of ourselves and often by that point in time, we're out. We're out of grace. We're out of patience. We're out of information. We don't know what to do, but these seasons, these times can really help us prepare for what's coming. We want to take notes from the customs and rhythms of Jesus in particular. And we want to do it like he did, as scripture says, growing in grace. That's a very important distinction. All right, When you think about growing in your faith, when you think about adding these rhythms to your life, what do you think about? Often we want to th- grow in power. <laughs> we want to grow in knowledge. We want to increase in these things. But scripture tells us that he grew in grace. He became more dependent upon the grace of his father, The more time he spent on this earth, the more he grew in grace. Now, there was power. Now, there was knowledge. There's a lot of those things that came along with it. But the heartbeat behind it all was that he grew in grace. This is Luke 2, starting in verse 40. The child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Every year... So again notice the rhythms Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover When he was 12 years old they went up to the festival according to the custom After the festival was over while his parents were returning home the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem They were unaware of it Thinking he was in their company they traveled on for a day Not parents of the year here, And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends When they did not find him they went back to Jerusalem to look for him Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. These practices, these rhythms, I want you to understand that these are for you and they're for those around you. What Jesus was going through as he was growing in wisdom and knowledge and stature and favor by the grace of God was not just for his own benefit. The end result of Jesus was not to be uh, a a wonderful man of God that we could all look to and say, wow, that guy really had it all together. Look at how crises don't affect him. Look at how he he can be persecuted and and how he can be torn down and he can be mocked and and how he stands strong. We don't look at him as that idol. This is a, a key point. But it was for the benefit of those around him. What he experienced, what he went through, what he learned, what he prepared for was not for him alone, but for all of us. Not to look at and to marvel, though we do, but for us to partake in, to enjoy, to participate in that as well. These practices, these rhythms are for you and those around you. How deep is your well? How deep is your well? In terms of the fruit of the spirit, how many grapes of patience do you have before you're out? I, I always think of patience like a, like grapes. You know, you got the bowl of fruit of the spirit. You know, for me, it's grapes because I feel like every time it's like a pluck. <laughs> you know, they pluck some of my patience out. They pluck some more of my patience out. And soon enough, that's just an empty vine. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that was it. That was my last grape. I, I got no more. We're going to have to see. And now, now you're going to get the lemons. Like, <laughs> that's what comes after that. All I have left are lemons. Um, I, we, we went through our, our, our kingdom of God and sovereignty stuff, and I want you to hear this, all right? I don't believe that God's the source of the trials that we're going to go through. He's not the source of the stuff that gets your patience out. He's not the source causing all of these things. I don't believe that. I talked about that in my sovereignty series, but I do believe that he's the hope through it all. He is the hope through it all. He's a hope that does not disappoint. He is the one who will work all those things for the good. He is sovereign even and maybe particularly in those times of suffering. That he can use all things for the good of those who seek him. We need to be able to be to respond rather as appropriate with whatever's appropriate in whatever season we find ourselves in. What I mean by that is say that you, you have a friend and they're at the edge of faith. You know what I mean? Somebody who, they're not antagonistic, but they're, they're curious, they're inclined, but they're really not committed to it. You know, they, they ask questions and, and they, they have a soft spot for God in their heart. I mean, there's lots of people you probably know like this, right? They're, they're not fully into this, but they're, they're testing the waters to see what's there. And now say that they encounter some hardship, sickness, loss of a loved one, maybe financial hardship and they, they, they lose their house. Is this the time where you come and you beat them with scripture and you say, you know what? If you have been honoring God all along, guess what? You had this coming, you sinners. Is that a great way to help somebody respond in a time of crisis that will say, gee, thank you so much for your words of wisdom and I recognize that I have been wrong all these years and that God really has the best for me. And people do this. No. Do our choices, do our wisdom often bring out about hard times? Yeah, I've I've experienced that myself. Sometimes the choices I make have real consequences and I wish they wouldn't. But it's his kindness that leads us towards repentance. It's his kindness that draws us close. And when when we as the church, when we as the followers present another picture of it, we're misrepresenting the gospel. We're representing something that that is a source of wisdom. We're representing something that that maybe is a lesson that we've learned, but it's the misplaced tool at the the wrong time. When a person's in crisis, in order for this crisis to not be wasted, as Winston Churchill said, what needs to happen? I want to say this. First of all, these crises that we go through, first of all, they have to be survived. Okay? We're talking long-term strategy here. If somebody is in a crisis... It has to be survived. I'm not even being metaphorical here, okay? They need to make it through this. There is unprecedented depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, hard times that are born through here. If there's a person who's struggling, heaping onto them guilt and shame and condemnation is not going to be propelling them. They need to survive this day to find God on the other side. And we have a role to play in this. 1 John 3.11, we talk about this on our pancake breakfast, and this is wonderful. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. I believe, unfortunately, that we often murder each other and leave them still breathing. I I, I think that that's kind of a big statement, so I, I want to make sure you hear that. We often murder each other even though we leave them still breathing. When people have encounters with us, do they leave struck by love? They leave exasperated, judged. They, they, they leave feeling like, where can I go from here? If we heap on guilt and shame and condemnation to a person struggling with depression, anxiety, even identity, can bring them to a point of suicide or even just alienation. Proximity, this is where I'm getting to my message for this morning. Proximity is so incredibly important, all right, that we are near. The Lord is near to the downtrodden. He's near to the brokenhearted. That that he's near to those who are contrite. That whenever the world was suffering from a a famine of the word of God, whenever it's the furthest we've been, where there was not new revelation coming, 400 years, what happened? Jesus came in flesh. He took on skin. He walked among us. Proximity is so important. Especially in hard times. Especially in Whenever crises are are coming close. For those of us in the faith, crises should be easier to handle, but we don't always have the skills or the wherewithal to, to navigate them well. Well, what crises? James, my favorite book of the Bible, starts out with a bang. I hate this verse as much as I love it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What a obnoxious verse. <laughs> can we can we agree on that? I mean like really let let's let's call a spade a spade here. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That is a person who has passed through something, and they've come through on the other side the type of person that I want to be. This is, this is a, a retrospective, looking back at what God has done on what he's brought me through. What, what crises, what, what trials are we talking about? Mental health we've talked about, physical health, midlife crisis. I can talk about that one for a while. Loss of a loved one, loss of income, loss of marriage, alienation, faith deconstruction, the doldrums. You don't know what the doldrums are? an attitude where, where all of a sudden you lose the wind and these ships were just stuck here and they couldn't move. Oftentimes, we don't recognize that as crisis because, oh, it'll be okay. I just have to get through this season. I just have to wait until my kids make it to college in 18 years, you know? I, I just have to get through this, this hard time at work. It's just, it, it's just a rough three months and we find ourselves with no wind in our sails just waiting it out. Death is coming close in the doldrums, and you can be stuck there with anything. These are the crises, these are the trials, these are the sufferings that what we're talking about will help you get through. And now I said that the, the Christian should be easier to, to handle these crises than others. Now l- let me let me revisit that word, okay? When things go well, that's what I'm referring to, but when I say should, and when we talk about spiritual disciplines, maybe I'll illuminate your heart. You feel shame and condemnation for this already. You're feeling, oh, I know I should spend more time in my Bible. Oh, I know I should be praying for that more. And oh, woe is me, I'm a bad Christian. I, I, I don't spend the time that, that I, I ought to, right? No, no, no nodding heads, okay, y'all are, y'all are better than me. I don't read my Bible as much as I should. And all that time where we say, I ought to, and we feel that in ourselves. When I say that that we should be able to, what I'm saying is when things are working well, you, it's like a health check, right? That whenever we have crises, we can look at ourselves and we can see what's, what's happening with me, right? We, th- this should not be overwhelming to me. This is evidence that something is, is out of kilter. This is evidence that I've taken a wrong step. This is evidence that I've been growing the wrong crops in my life because anger is coming out. And I didn't know that I was planting seeds of anger. <laughs> but here it is. I'll, I'll tell you all, that one surprised me. I've not been an angry human, like, for, for the majority of my life. But in a time of crisis, anger popped up. This is, this is personal repentance time. It surprised me. Like, like, legitimately surprised me. It's like, where did that come from? This isn't even, like, the, the kind of good anger that I can like, righteous anger. No, this was just, like, anger and I realized I had spent years tending the wrong crops in my life. You know what I mean? I didn't pull those weeds. I, I, I saw them there, and I was maybe lazy, maybe ignorant. Maybe I, I just kind of wanted to see what happened, you know, just like a little fateful kind of thing. Like, let's see what happens if I leave that one alone for a while. And I saw it appear, and anger came out, and it's like I didn't recognize myself. And I had to do some work. And I'm still doing some work on this. First John 5, back to First John again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. That's such an important word. His commands are not burdensome. So whenever I say the Christian should be able to handle these crises and you're feeling, oh, the guilt, oh, the shame, oh, I, kn- I know, Josh, I know, I haven't cracked my Bible this week, but maybe that's because I can use it on the app and I get an email with the, the newsletter or the scripture, like, or, you know, I listen to this. All those things that we say, there's not a note of condemnation here, okay? It's an encouragement towards the healthy rhythms of life. That Jesus has shown us his commands are not burdensome if you take the burden on yourself I I say this often but what we're building then is a facsimile of the Christian life now the spiritual disciplines are so important opening the Word of God praying is so important but I think that the intent and the heart coming towards it directs that so much that you can read the Word of God every single day and you can know all the facts and figures about Christianity And you do not have the heart of God. There was actually, there was a a monk who spent years studying the word of God. And after, I think it was 20 or 30 years, they asked him what he learned. And he said, well, the word kingdom appears, you know, 12,000 times. And and God is, is translated in six different ways throughout this book. And, you know, he had all these facts and figures. And he did not know a thing about the character of God himself. Just spending this time doing these disciplines without the heart, you can take on this burden. You can take on these disciplines and miss this. Here, here's a, a confession. Here's a secret. All right, Leah and I are terrible about couples Bible studies. <laughs> D- has anybody done couples Bible studies successfully? No. Okay, this is good. <laughs> so we got married. Somebody gave us like the the, the Proverbs for Couples book. And we're a newlywed couple, and we're thinking, "All right, we love God, we love Jesus, we're we're gonna do this." We try the first week, and it's like, "That was not fun." <laughs> let's let's try this again the next time, and it's like, "Okay, we're not gonna do that anymore." And we pray together, we we do things together, but that didn't fit us. I, it, it fits some people. I do believe maybe nobody in this room. I believe it fits some people. But not us. But right. But we put on Saul's armor. We 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 try to take somebody else's ideas of what this thing should look like, and we think if I could, if I want to be like them, if I want to have that grace on me, then I have to do all of these things to get there. That's not what we're going towards. Jesus at the temple, like we said, we, he he grew in grace. Paul tells us this in Second Peter. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That's in Second Peter growing in grace is what we're talking about. That as we are doing these things, the grace increases. The love increases. And those are kind of the guidelines, okay? That if we're headed towards condemnation instead of grace, we, we've misstepped. Amen. Okay? If we're headed towards anger, disappointment, and hate, or any of those things, we've misstepped. But along this way, in the rhythm of what the Lord has called us to, there is a wonderful life that can survive any crises, and I, I I believe that. All right, this this isn't this is not like this. Try to believe me on this one. I really believe that that the Christian can survive any crisis that life may throw at them with a heart of worship. That I can be in a prison cell singing praises to Jesus. That I can be in a hospital bed singing praises with my faith undeterred, untroubled because blessed be the name of the Lord. And I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen the homeless man who declines the blanket because he doesn't want to have another thing to worry about because God will provide what I need when I need it. And I say, you've got a faith that I have read about. (laughs) It's amazing to see what the Lord can do in a life that has been headed towards his grace. These disciplines are not about trying harder so that everything's going to be okay. Okay. This isn't about human efforts supplanting God's grace, but rather the life that's lived when we're going the same direction. When we all paddle in the same way as the Spirit of God, when he's filling our sails instead of us fighting the wind, when we look and see what the Father's doing and say yes and amen to that, that's the rhythms of Jesus. That's what we're going towards. Uh, So I don't believe that this is going to be specifically prescriptive. It's going to be unique and personal and also I want to say seasonal. Okay? Things that worked for you in your 20s exercise wise maybe don't work for you in your 30s. (laughs) Certainly don't work for you in your 40s. I'll tell you about my 50s in a bit. (laughs) Life changes. We change. What rhythms serve you when you have kids under the same roof? What rhythms serve you when you're in the office at 6 a.m.? What rhythms serve you Whenever you have grandkids, right? These things matter. Whenever you're going to school, listen to the rhythms that the Lord is, is leading you into. So your mileage may vary. No perfect phrase to get out of an argument. No perfect formula for good and healthy marriage. There's no magical method to raise children. But God has shown us throughout all of Scripture His truth and context. If, if there's one thing I can tell you about the Word of God, it's so amazing because there's always a context, Right? That you know that Israel was going through this trouble and this is what the Lord said to them then, right? It's not just an abstract book of facts and figures about God. It's the truth in context. It's showing you how this worked out when there were problems, whenever there was victories, whenever there was sorrow, whenever there was things happening in their lives. The truth of God is always revealed in context. I always used to want to try to abstract things about God away from the Bible to get like this pure knowledge of, about things. And that's just not how it's written. I, I, I've i shared my shame on this one before and I think I'll, I'll share it again. I, I broke up with Leah once. I know, it really was pretty terrible. And I did it for the horrible reason of saying and I meant it, I wanted to get closer to God, okay, I, yeah, see, that's the, (laughs) that's the right reaction, and I was proud of myself for this, and I, I went to my, my, uh, my, one of my spiritual fathers at the time, and I thought he would be as well, because I was, I was choosing God over romance, you know, so I went, and I said, I broke up with my girlfriend, he goes, oh, why, I said, because I'm going to get closer to God, and he looked at me, he goes, oh no, <laughs> I had never seen a look of such sorrowful disappointment as he looked at me when I, I, th- I was expecting pride and like, you know, well done, you God seeker, you know, like that's what I wanted, and what he said was like, you will never, you will never find God divorced from context, you will never find God divorced from people, that's not, that's not how this works, it is always in context. Like if, if you're going to try to remove yourself from all people, places and things and sorrows and troubles and try to, to get this, carve out this one spot where I will be untouched so I can just get closer to God. No. <laughs> Have you read the Bible? So I humbly went back to Leah and said, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> can, 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 we, can we try this again? And she graciously said yes. And Y'all, y'all know the rest. Um. So his truth is in context. So what do we do? What are we left with? We have practices, a few guidelines, the heartbeat of God. Because we realize Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob couldn't meditate on scriptures because they didn't have them written down. King David couldn't read the Psalms until he wrote them. Solomon needed to press into God to live a life of wisdom without all of Proverbs being given to him beforehand. What we're going to be talking about here is not things that you're going to graduate from, but things that you're going to keep close to your heart. The question's like, why didn't God answer my prayer? It's a question I think we've all asked. God heals, why isn't this person healed? God's not going to be revealed by scientific method. It just won't happen. But I think Akisha was saying this earlier. It's amazing to be truly free. It's amazing to be truly free. For someone's opinion to have no hold over you, to be free from comparison to your neighbor, to not let the accuser's accusations hold you under condemnation. Because your identity, your future, your hope is clear and apparent. Now, like Paul said, I'm not claiming to have laid hold of this yet. But we get these foretastes. We get a little glimpse here and there. So what we're saying here is that we have to be abiding in the Father. Abiding in the Father. Everything that follows for the next two weeks is about abiding in the Father. We're going to be talking about practices of abstinence and practices of engagement but it's done the same way that we're abiding in Him, and I, I mentioned around here a lot of times that we do have worship as the context for a lot of what we do, right? When we take communion, whenever we do ministry, we, we have worship around that because it kind of it's not to set the mood, but it's to make sure we know what we're doing. That we're not trying to 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 separate this thing and say like, no, everything that we do is worship here. It's coming before Him. It's saying You are worthy, and I hope that that's communicated well. It's not a mood. But it is the attitude of why these things matter. That when we're doing ministry, it's because he's good. And as he answers, as he comes close, he is good and we can celebrate that. That's the attitude for so much of this. John 15, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. They gather them and throw them into the fire. They are burned. But If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So be my discipline, my disciples. Who says abide in their day-to-day life here? (laughs) We have over-spiritualized this word so much, all right? And we kind of reserve it for this whole idea, and we think that we we have to abide, which is this weird thing that we only have, like in this thing, and we kind of get it a little bit, but then I think we've made it so spiritual that it's almost unusable to us in our day-to-day life, which is the exact opposite of what it's supposed to do. We have to remain in him. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah, there there's slight connotations for it, but, but really let's not over spiritualize this and realize that we just have to remain in him. And I think we're gonna skip this because I think whenever we think of about abiding, then we, we think it's gonna be deep and spiritual because there's this wonderful promise that what's to say, if I got this right, if I can abide in him, I can ask for anything I desire, and God will do it for me. So we think well, yeah, there's gotta be some deep spiritual truth here because I've asked for things and they haven't happened yet. So I clearly, I'm not abiding in the right way. That's something reserved for this. Has, have people here been on a cruise before, anybody? Good number of us. Cruise ships are this amazing thing where you can go to bed in one place, wake up in another one, and there's like a whole different you know place to explore. But here's the thing. If you're on the cruise ship, There's food, there's things provided for you there, but you can't go snorkeling. (laughs) You can't explore those things unless you get off, right? You have to remain in one place and and, and that's kind of it, right? Now, if you get offshore, you also can't eat the buffet at the same time. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. That's kind of the metaphor for this. There's this great phrase that we kick around, we don't understand, you want your cake and to eat it too? It actually is a great phrase, what it means is, is cakes were this beautiful thing that, that people wanted to have and look at and just like enjoy the fact that it's my birthday and I got this cake here. But you can't have your cake and eat it too. Once you eat your cake, you no longer have it, <laughs> right? You, you can't do both of these things at the same time. It's the idea of remaining. If, if the cruise ship metaphor doesn't work for you, think about the hammock. I got a picture of this one. All right. Those girls are not abiding in the hammock. <laughs> you ever get in the hammock and, you, and there's like a, a drink that's just a little too far and you're like, I can, I can reach it. And you, you reach and then you hit that tipping point and you just fall right out. The hammock flips and you lose it all. If you abide in the hammock, you're secure. <laughs> you stretch this a little too far, you're on the ground. Whenever we abide in him when we remain in him you have the buffet (laughs) everything that the Lord's providing for you is there but the thing is we don't want to remain in him because there's worldly things that we also like to. we want to get off we want to explore this world we want to see what it's like we want to reach a little too far out we we want a little bit of column A and a little column B here again it's like what can I do so the problem is not so much that, that we're not doing the spiritual abiding thing well it's the fact that we're double-minded it's the fact that we're not content with just the things of God we think we can if, if I, I could do this I could do both the Lord said it's, it's really hard to be a rich man and enter into the heavens of God he didn't say it's impossible like I, could, I can cram that camel through the eye of a needle and, and make sure that everything's going to be okay and, and it, just a little bit of this is going to be alright and we push these things and we don't abide and we fall out of the hammock abiding is active it's a choice it's a giving up of some things and it's an engagement in other areas it's choosing the things of God and not the things of this world don't let life just happen to you okay you have to make be active in what you choose life is too precious of a gift to let it just go on without your your thought without your discipline these spiritual disciplines are active. Bev actually shared something a few weeks ago that I want to underscore, that that God doesn't meet us where we are but calls us to where he is. This is a, a really wonderful and beautiful thing that I, I just want to flesh out a little bit here. In some regards, of course, God does come close to where we are when we need him. He took on flesh and he walked among us, right? That he's close, as we said before, to the the brokenhearted, but he doesn't look at us in our addictions, in our sin, pull up a stool and say, wow, that's tough. That's not what our God does. He doesn't say, yeah, you can stay there. You, you, you can stay right where you are and, and we'll, we'll make a comfortable bed and we'll lie down in this together. It's not what he does. He says, follow me. I'm going to show you to a better place. Follow me. You're, you're better than this. Follow me. I've got life as it was actually meant to be lived. God remains forever enthroned, and he calls us to him. I've been very affected by this letter by Jonathan Edwards to his son, who at the age of 10 was a a Native American uh, missionary, and he was living with them to teach them the gospel. And this is what Jonathan Edwards wrote to his 10-year-old son. My daughter, Ava, is 10 years old, and I cannot imagine writing her a letter like this. The week before last on Thursday, David, whom you knew and used to play with, he used to live at our house. His soul is gone into the eternal world. Whether he was prepared for death, we don't know. This is a loud call of God to you to prepare for death. You see that there there are young who die as well as those that are old. David was not much older than you. Remember what Christ has said, that you must be born again or you can never see the kingdom of God. Never give yourself any rest unless you have good evidence that you are converted and become a new creature. creature. We hope that God will preserve your life and health and return you to Stockbridge again in safety, but always remember that life is uncertain. You know not how soon you must die, and therefore have need to always be ready. There's no mincing of words with that. To a child. It's kind of amazing. It, It takes my... My parenting, and it kind of makes me wonder: like, have, have we sheltered too much? We, are we too afraid of trials? Are we too afraid of suffering? Are we too afraid of pain? Do we not trust God enough to get us through this? Are we too comfortable on our, our own devices to think ah, I can just avoid suffering for the most part? I don't want to. I don't want my kids to have to think about that anyway. And it causes me to pause. And I'm not holding this as the gospel truth for parenting advice because I haven't followed it. But it tells me something about the Christian approach with the grace of God to sorrows. That we abide in him. We go to where he is. That we don't focus on problems, on suffering, on trials, but we focus on Jesus. It's why he comes close to where we are and why he couldn't remain. And this is how we can understand John 17. We don't focus on the problems. We focused on him. Because Jesus, when he was with us, couldn't remain with us because he was going someplace that we couldn't yet go. But when we understand that, that he's got to go somewhere, there's not a pool that becomes stagnant, that these, these disciplines, that these rhythms bring us to a new place, that following him is active, that the doldrums are not where you can live. This tells us why he had to go somewhere. John 17, I pray for them. Not praying for the world, but those who who you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That's the prayer. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and me are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that so the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so you may be brought to complete unity. This is abiding. Do you see it's always this together and it's always this direction. It's always growing. It's always going someplace. In verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you've loved me before the creation of the world. This is the picture of abiding. This is the picture of abiding in a fellowship. This is the picture of abiding with him, remaining in him. And that that Jesus couldn't remain in this world because he was not of this world. That that as these rhythms increased, that as, as things happened, as seasons of his own eternal life were manifesting around him, he had to go back to be with the Father. So it will be for us. We are to remain in him. Acts 17:28. For in him we live and move and have our being. When we get that reversed, we're in trouble. When we think that I've got to do these things and I've got I've to live and move in my own self, I've got to do these things, then we are no longer growing in grace. Then we're not abiding in him. Then we're trying to do it all ourselves. God be with me while I go my own way is very different than God, where are you? What are you doing so that I can be found there? So, as we talk about these next few weeks, what the practicals look like, we've got to abide. Just remain. Just remain. I I don't want you to think that that's got to be some like deeply spiritual thing that you don't have the attention span for. I do want you to think that it often comes from you saying no to certain things and yes to other things. It's a choice. You're going to eat that cake or you're going to hold on to it. <laughs> you're going to go explore the shore or you're going to stay on the boat. You can't do it all. You can't serve both God and Mammon. We have to make a choice. So let's end with a bit of worship, and this call. I think you might feel convicted by this. Here, here's what what happens to me, right? What happens to me often is I'll, I'll hear something like this, and you know, he didn't call my name from the pulpit, but there's a, a thought that I know what he's talking about in my life, and you just you just know immediately the thing you've been holding on to, that I've been holding on to, you know, that, that something just came to mind promptly. If you're like me in that, <laughs> you know what you've got to do, but that's the thing right that's what you have to do it's not necessarily the person (laughs) next to you has to do who knows it could all be the same but it's probably going to be harder for you because it's not abstract it's very specific I'd like to pray pray for you I'd I'd like to bless this I'd I'd like to to do this quick poll who, who has something that came to their mind that you know that you've been holding on to just a few you don't let's take the time and ask when I went through that list of crises if there's things that, that, uh, that, uh, that you know you're in right now or, or if you don't let's prepare for the season to come I think that one of the things that was highlighted to me when I was praying for y'all this morning was the doldrums just this idea of just being out at sea no wind in my sails not sure where I'm going to go next not sure when I'm going to get there next but I feel like I'm, I'm waiting if that's for you I want to pray for you because I've been in the doldrums. I actually think that the doldrums might be worse than being in active suffering. I think it might be worse than than active trials because what are you doing? (laughs) Time is so precious. Time is so precious. And I hope that we don't waste ourselves. I hope we don't waste the gift that, that God has given us just trying to get through this onto the next. So I'm going to pray for us. We can be ministered to or you can do ministry. let's press into the Holy Spirit Lord I thank you for your word I thank you for your call I thank you for the prayer you prayed before you left for all believers I thank you that you placed us squarely in the hand of the Father I thank you that you came close and Jesus we want more we don't want to be left to our own devices, but Father, we can be found where You are. Help us, equip us, prepare us. I would see Your face clearly. I pray the name in Jesus. Amen.